such an open heaven. Lord, I'm asking you to, to come upon me and speak through me tonight, your words of life. Lord, that your word will go out with glory and power and strong anointing. Lord, I pray tonight that the word of the Lord, that the presence of God, the anointing is so strong on this word that everybody will be able to give you their best ear and full attention, that the Holy Spirit anoint our eyes and ears and help us have eyes and ears of the Spirit. That maybe what would normally be a little hard to see, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to really understand that the revelation will come. We truly have eyes and ears of the Spirit, Lord, that you would anoint our minds to be able to comprehend. And Lord, that we'll be captivated, locked in to give you our best and full attention. What, you know, several minutes just seem like just a moment because we're, we're caught up in this glory. We're, we're captured in what you're doing tonight, Lord. And I pray that the word of the Lord will go out as living seeds of truth, sown in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Watered by the Spirit of God, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let your, light, your word go out as a light that dispels any type of darkness, lies, deception of the enemy, and brings life and revelation and truth. Let your word go out in the washing of the water of the word and cleanse your people. Let your word be a mighty hammer that breaks down every stronghold, every lie, everything that's a structure against the truth that that will come crashing down even hardened hearts and, and hardened like a shell around people that the hammer of the word will break and crack that down so that people can receive and your sword of your word to cut away what needs to go lord let the word of the lord go forth and accomplish everything it sent it forth to do let the winds of your spirit carry this where it's supposed to go let your holy angels go forth lord that will make sure that everything's accomplished through this word, that your will to be done. We bless you, and we thank you for it now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to talk about, I've been doing a series on the spine of prophecy, dealing with end-time prophetic events. And I've been taking my time with it. This isn't going to be terribly long tonight, but it's going to be kind of deep. So I want you to be able to take notes if you have a pen. You have some paper, you have your Bible. I want you to follow along. I want you to be able to underline, circle things, write things down, and really take good notes tonight because this is something that I want you to understand, but it is a little deeper tonight, okay? We're going to understand the, this is part 14, we're going to talk about the rise of the false church, the rise of the false prophets, and we're going to talk about counterfeit signs, wonders, Miracles, things like that. So we ready? Dive into it. The first thing is, this is not in the notes that you guys have here, but it probably will be whenever I upload it later, but 2 Thessalonians 2.8. If you want to write that down, look it up later. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And this is what it says. Then that lawless one, speaking of the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. This is what I want you to see. The activity of Satan with all power, signs, and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. You know, the truth is being spoken out there. But there's still people that don't like it and don't want to receive it. And so at some point in time, they're going to be given over 
to the enemy. You know, it's just like the, the homosexual community. We love them. I love them. We don't have anything against them on a personal level. We care about them. But, you know, if you keep hearing preachers and churches telling them over and over and over, the Bible says that lifestyle is wrong and that if you continue in it, you'll go to hell. And, and we say it in love, but they, they just refuse. They don't want the truth. Eventually, just like everybody else that doesn't want the truth, they're going to be given over. All right, but let me read this to you again in verse 9. It says, that is the one who's coming, talking about the rise of the Antichrist, will be with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. So there's going to be, the Bible predicts, there's going to be satanic power, satanic signs, and satanic wonders and great deception. So let me dive into this. 2 Timothy 3, 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. Now everybody say after me, false teachers. There's going to be those in our time right now. They're out there, okay? They're going to rise up to oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. So Janus and Jambres were the names of the magicians that Pharaoh had duplicating some of the signs and wonders of Moses. So you have to understand when, when Moses was sent by God and Moses did some of these signs and wonders like turn water to blood and different things, the, some of the magicians that served Pharaoh were able to duplicate some of them at the beginning. But at some point in time, they could not continue to do that. And even when Moses went before Pharaoh, and you guys probably know this story, but he took his staff, Moses did, and threw it on the ground, and his rod became a serpent. The magicians, I want you to hear me, because a lot of people don't think about this. The magicians, these were sorcerers. They were basically witches. They were able to do the same thing. Have you ever really thought about that? Okay, but Moses's rod ate their serpents, okay? And so God was showing that his power, even though they could duplicate some of the signs and wonders that God was doing, ultimately God trumped them. We know that's the case. Moses's rod ate theirs, but not only that, but they could only duplicate a couple of the plagues. And then as it continued on, God kept sending plagues and crippling the economy there. And these sorcerers were actually powerless to stop what God was doing. In fact, this is not in the Bible, but Jewish history records that these guys, the magicians, after they saw the great power of God, that some of them defected Egypt and actually left with the Israelites when they left in the Exodus to serve the true God. So if that is true, you can see though, and, and this is true, when people see the power of God displayed, I mean to tell you, a lot of them, it's so awesome to them that they, they really begin to search for the, the, the living God. They see his power, they see he's real, they see that he cares about them and, and they begin to pursue him, okay? So the power of God is very important, but I believe that there's going to be a clash of 
these powers in these last days. For example, this is just one of many examples. I've heard of several things like this happening where, you know, even Dr. Cho had some Buddhist come when he very first started his church and there were some Buddhist monks came to him and they said that if he wasn't able to pray and get, I don't remember, this lady was dying. It was a very serious illness. If If he wasn't able to pray and his God get this woman healed within a certain amount of time that they were gonna kill him and his family. And they were serious. Well, make a long story short, God came through for Dr. Cho, and he's, he lived a long life and still alive, and praise God for that. God healed the lady. <laughs> but there's going to be this clash of power. This, uh, I, I was watching this. It was really interesting. I saw this video. There was a, a witch doctor that had come. This is in Africa. had come to challenge this church, and he showed up outside, and he's shouting and yelling, and he's putting curses on the church. And he's being real disruptive. So the pastor has to go out and deal with him. And this guy just basically, this witch doctor was picking a fight with the church. And I mean, what are you going to do? You have to respond. And so the witch doctor is out there and he's doing his mumbo jumbo and releasing against the church. And the pastor comes out and you could tell the pastor could feel the the witchcraft being released because he was kind of staggering. But he would come back and he'd say in Jesus' name, you know, he was breaking the power of all that stuff and commanded the devil to be bound and get out of here. And whenever he was taking authority, that witch doctor was staggering. <laughs> so this was going back and forth a couple times. About the third time, the witch doctor got slammed on his back and never got back up. It had a humbling experience, okay? But that's the same type of thing that Elijah had to face. Remember, he had to face the prophets of Baal. Now, let me show you this in Scripture as well. Acts 13, 6. And let me emphasize again, the power of God, I believe, as the power of God is being displayed, that many of these people that are lost and they're dabbling in some of this weird stuff, when they see the power of God, they're, they're going to begin to search for him. And people that are hurting, when God you know, physically heals them or, or heals somebody that they know, they're going to begin to search for him. So the power of God is very important. All right, Acts 13, 6. They traveled through, this is Paul. It says that um, him and his companions traveled uh, through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Okay, everybody say false prophet. prophet. All right, there's going to be some of those in these last days, and we need to be ready. Who was an attendant of the proconsul? I want you to picture this. To be a Jewish sorcerer and to be able to be an attendant to the proconsul, this was a a Roman uh, authority figure. And for this Roman authority figure to have this guy around, this guy had to be legitimate. Okay, so this sorcerer was apparently doing some things that were, you know, magical and, and whatever he was doing, his little counterfeit signs and wonders. And the proconsul was intrigued with it and allowed him to stick around and be like a counselor to him or whatever. And so the proconsul, though, was an intelligent man. And apparently, you know, he was looking for the truth. And he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Elamus, the sorcerer, his name was Bar-Jesus or Elamus, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So Barnabas and Paul come, and they're preaching the gospel of this proconsul, and this little sorcerer is over here constantly trying to undermine it and turn the proconsul against the gospel. 
So Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, you are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you are going to be blind for a time, not able to see even the light of the sun. And immediately a mist of darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So once again, you're seeing this, this clash that's going on here between Satan's servant and the servant of the Lord. And because of the power of God trumping the power of the devil, this proconsul saw that and it really stayed with him. He was so impressed. And then Acts 16, 16. It happened that as we were going, this is again Paul and Barnabas, I believe, as they were going to a place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination or a python spirit met us who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. She was following after Paul and us and kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming you, proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued to do this day after day, many days. Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. So, there was once again a clash there. But it was interesting about this because this demon was trying to masquerade and act like it was the voice of the Lord. You know, it was going behind Paul going, hey, these are servants of God. Listen to them. They're telling you how to be saved. But Paul discerned in his spirit it was demonic. We're going to have to have that kind of discernment in these days. Amen. All right, so we know from Scripture that there's going to be counterfeit signs and wonders. There's going to be a counterfeit move. We know that there's going to be a clash of powers. I say this respectfully and I say it in love, but there's, there's different ministries out there and denominations that have really rejected the Holy Spirit. They don't like the power of God. They don't like tongues. Now I'm gonna tell you something. We're already in the last days. And if some of those were to be challenged by Satan's servants. And I'm talking about people like you read about in the Bible here that actually have some power to do things. Um, I believe that some of them are going to be really shocked and they're going to um, go running to the local Pentecostal congregation looking for help, okay? Because they're not gonna have what they need to get the job done. You know, we need the power of God in our lives. And we're moving into days that it's not going to be something that you can just say, well, you know, maybe I need it, maybe I don't, no big deal. I really believe we're moving into days where it's going to be quite evident that we need it, desperately need it, to um, deal with the times we're living in. So we cannot just indiscriminately accept every manifestation or something called a move of God. We have to see, is it in harmony with Scripture? And we have to test the spirits and make sure that they are actually of God. Because we know that witch doctors and people like that can, can cause others to be healed, like a physical healing. They can do alchemy and mix potions that cause women or seemingly cause women to get pregnant whenever they 
go back home to their husband. So we know that there is some kind of power there, but we also know that it is demonic and it's not of God. So we've got to test the spirits. So we know from scriptures up until this point, as I've been teaching on this, that there's going to be thick deception in these last days. Is everybody following me tonight? There's going to be thick deception. There's going to be a great falling away. These are people that walked with Christ at one time, but now they've abandoned the faith. And there's going to be people that are deceived by the supernatural signs of Satan's servants that are taking place. I wonder if we're not going to see in the days to come some of Satan's servants that are ministers of other religions, like maybe a Buddhist monk or maybe an Islamic cleric or, or some kind of a Hindu teacher of sorts that are going to be able to do signs and wonders. And also we know about people that are already doing them, like the shamans and people. I wonder how much of an effect that's going to have on the lost. See, we've got to love the truth. And we've got to press into the truth. Because people that, that are rejecting Christ and they're rejecting the word of God as absolute truth, they're going to be given over to this stuff. They're going to be deceived. Let me say that again. People that have been hearing the gospel here in the States, people that have been hearing and they don't want to hear about Jesus, they don't want to hear about the Bible, they don't believe Jesus is the only way, they don't believe the Bible is the truth, and they don't love the truth, then the days to come, there's going to be things that happen that they're going to be given over to deception. So we have to love the truth. How many knows that the Bible is the word of God? Okay? You stick with the scriptures. Make sure everything lines up with that. Now, when revival comes, all kinds of powerful manifestations come. I saw at Brownsville, people would shake. People would fall. People would laugh. People cry. I saw this. Uh, we've seen it here. Okay? So you don't always have, for example, clear-cut, uh, how do I word this correctly? What you're looking for is, does it go against the word of God? Because, for example, if you're trying to find a scripture for every teeny tiny little thing out there, you're not going to have scriptures where anybody wrote anything down on paper and gave out pamphlets. But, and they could have. They had their, their quill and their ink or whatever, okay? They could have. But you don't have... <laughs> You don't see examples of that. You don't even see examples in biblical times of, of people meeting um, in buildings like this. You know, they met in synagogue or they met at homes. I'm just saying that if you're trying to find a scripture and verse about every teeny tiny little thing, you're not going to be able to. But what you need to make sure of, though, is does it go against the word of God? Does it, does it oppose sound doctrine? That's what you're looking for, okay? So again, there's going to be power confrontations. Paul said that the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Let me explain that, then I'm going to move to the next point. The kingdom of God is not just talking and debating. Some people want to keep it on just this intellectual level and sit around and talk about things. See, when Jesus came... People were amazed at Jesus, and, they, and they, what they were amazed about was this. They said, he teaches as one with great authority, not like the other teachers of the law. <laughs> See, Jesus had the power to back things up. 
And that's the difference. See, people want to stay on this intellectual realm and they want to stay on this realm of having debates and talking about things. But the kingdom of God isn't so much that as it is the power of God coming down to change, to save people, to heal people, to set people free, and to revolutionize their life. That's really what the kingdom of God is. It's the power of God activated in people's lives. And it begins at the new birth. The new birth itself is a resurrection from the dead, so to speak. It is a, a power of God to give life to an individual. All right, so here in a moment, you're going to see the false prophet. You're going to see some more counterfeit signs and wonders. So let's go to Revelation 13. How many of you guys have ever tried to read the book of Revelation? Be honest. And you thought, what in the world is this talking about? Okay. <laughs> well, tonight, if you'll follow me and you'll take notes, I promise you I will help you understand Revelation 13 and Revelation 17 tonight, okay? So Revelation 13, let's start there. It said that the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Now, in Bible prophecy, if everybody will follow me tonight, this is all going to make sense, but it's a lot of symbolism, so you really got to give me your best ear. In Bible prophecy, the sea is seen as the mass of humanity, the billions of people on the earth, this great mass of humanity is seen as the sea, okay? So the dragon stood on the seashore. And he said, John was looking at this vision and he said, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. The beast here is the Antichrist. When he's talking about a beast, it's interesting because it's like a wolf nature, like a beast nature, okay? But this beast was coming out of the sea. What that represents is the Antichrist coming out of humanity. What the Bible's saying is, is he's going to be a man. He's not a machine. He's not some ghost or something. The Antichrist is going to be a physical man. And I'll talk more about him another time. This isn't about him tonight. But it said, this beast came out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. So let me explain this one real quick, okay? The ten horns is this. When the Antichrist comes to power, he's going to have ten different nations that will submit to his rulership. He's, let me say it again. He's going to have 10 different nations or geographic areas. It may be a reforming of what we know as nations now. I don't know what he's going to do. But there's going to be 10 geographic places that are going to come underneath his authority. And every one of those 10 nations are going to have a president or a king, prime minister, whatever you want to call him. And that individual is going to pledge his allegiance to the Antichrist. There's going to be 10 of them. And we know that definitely without a doubt that those 10 nations are going to each have a very powerful fallen angel, a principality that rules over them, okay? The seven heads, there's multiple meanings to this, but the seven heads speak of the seven world ruling spirits that are going to empower the Antichrist. But there's also more revelation to come with that as well. But just for now, 
See, there's really powerful world ruling spirits, like, um, um, you know, spirits of death, um, a Jezebel spirit, a world ruling spirit. There's spirits that are real powerful that blanket the whole world with their authority. And so there's going to be seven of them that really assist the rise of the Antichrist. And the ten principalities that are over those areas will probably be principalities that ruled over places like Egypt and Greece and Rome and, and places like that at one time. Is all this making sense so far? I'm trying not to go too fast. All right, and the beast which I saw looked like a leopard. That speaks of Greece. If you know the book of Daniel, this will make more sense. It speaks of Greece, okay? And his feet were like those of the bear. That speaks of the Medes and Persians. And his mouth was like that of the lion. That speaks of Babylon. And the dragon, who's the dragon? Satan. You got to remember that. The dragon is Satan. It, Satan gave the Antichrist right here. It says Satan, the dragon, gives him his power and his throne and great authority. So what the dragon stole from Adam, now he's giving that to the Antichrist. Verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. So Bible scholars believe that the Antichrist might have some kind of a uh, you know, like an assassination attempt where maybe somebody shot him in the head or something like that. And he was pres presumed dead, but he came back. And they were, the world uh, was amazed at him. That maybe, you know, that maybe he was superhuman or something, or he had supernatural ability to be able to do. Basically, it's kind of like a counterfeit death and resurrection of Christ. At least that's what a lot of Bible scholars believe that's speaking of there, okay? But I want you to take notice of this scripture because this is very concerning. It says the whole earth was amazed and followed after the Antichrist. Everybody say the whole earth. Now think about that. See, we read over stuff like that. It says in the Bible, the whole earth is going to be following this guy. And it continues on and says, comma, and the whole earth, remember, followed the Antichrist. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. Who's the dragon? So the Bible's saying that the whole world is going to be totally caught up with this Antichrist figure and that they're going to worship Satan. Friend, these are going to be some seriously dark times. All right, they worship the dragon because he gave authority to the beast and worship the beast saying, who is like the beast, the Antichrist, okay? Who is able to wage war with him? It was given unto him a mouth to speak arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened the mouth, he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. It was given him to make war against the saints and overcome them. And authority over every tribe, people, and tongue, nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the, the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone's killed with the sword, um, if anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance of the faith of the saints. 
um, saints here is, is probably speaking a lot about Israel. But listen, there's going to be a catching away of the bride, but there's still going to be a lot of people here that are professing Christ. And probably once the, the rapture happens, you got to understand something. When that happens, you do realize all these people that were playing games are going to get really serious really fast. You understand that? I mean, there's going to be kind of a great revival of sorts of all those that were playing games, all those that thought they were too good to go to church. I don't need church, you know. And they, they wanted to, they ignored the preachers that told them, hey, you can't play games. You got to stay in prayer. You got to live holy. And, all. and they were out, you know, clubbing and barring and drinking it up and partying and all this stuff, playing games. And they got left behind. All of a sudden, the rapture happens. They know exactly what that was. The world's saying crazy stuff like the UFO people came. But they know, they know. They're like, wait a second, no, that was the Lord, and I better get right. What am I still doing here? And they're going to get on their face and get right with God, but the problem is, is that now they're going to have to face the extreme difficulties of that time. They're going to be living in a world that worships the Antichrist and worships Satan. It's going to be extremely difficult. All right, so here is now the second part, verse 11. The beast from the earth. This is the false prophet. Then, so remember, he saw the Antichrist come out of the sea, but now he sees the earth, and it's like the earth opens, and he sees a beast coming out of the earth. And he said, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. Everybody follow me. This is really interesting. Who is the Lamb of God? Jesus. Let this sink in for a moment. The false prophet is going to look like he represents the Lamb of God. He's going to come as some representative of Christianity. But... It goes on to say, but he spoke as a dragon. So even though he looked like he was a, a Christian, he looked like a minister representing Christianity, representing Christ, he actually was a false prophet and he would speak on behalf of the dragon. Verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast the Antichrist in his presence. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the Antichrist, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that to even make fire come down out of heaven in the earth in the presence of men. Now think about that. You're talking about signs and wonders. Is everybody really thinking about this for a minute? How many people have you seen in your lifetime call down fire from heaven? Uh, you know, this is going to be um, an exceptional sign and wonder. <laughs> it really is. He's probably going to stand there, and the fire will probably come like a, a bolt of lightning coming down at his command. He's able to do that because there's, Satan has his thrones in that second heaven, which I'm going to talk about tonight. See, there's the three, the furthest, the third heaven the furthest northern resources of the universe, the third heaven, is where God dwells, okay? 
And right now, if you die, angels will take true Christians to that third heaven. But beneath that third heaven is the atmosphere where you have the stars and the planets and you have, you know, just above overhead here. That's the second heaven, and that's where principalities and powers and satanic forces dwell. And they're going to be working with the false prophet helping to generate these signs, okay? And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which he, it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, the Antichrist there. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had a wound of the sword and has come back to life. <coughs> so again, you're seeing this reference that this counterfeit Messiah, this Antichrist figure, will probably have some kind of a fatal wound where he's going to have some kind of a death and resurrection. And this false prophet here is heralding him. Now, let me just go ahead and say this because at, from this point on, what I'm going to say probably won't make a lot of sense unless I go ahead and pause and explain some things. Down through church history, many people, not a few, many people have believed that this false prophet, false church is going to have a lot to do with the Vatican. Okay? Even our Protestant reformers like Luther and others Pretty much all of them believe that. And make sure and get this recorded and on the record. There have been Catholic theologians that strongly believe that in the last days there would be this rogue pope that would follow the Antichrist and be like his false prophet. So this is not just something that I thought about the other day. Okay. This is something that a lot of people believe. If you've never heard it before, it's gonna, you know, it might sound out there, but a lot of people believe this, and I, I believe this as well. This is, let me say this. I believe this is probably the way it will pan out. I'm open to if it comes another way. I'm just watching, but that's the way that it appears. So with that in mind, keep in mind that there's gonna be a false church. There's gonna be a false prophet and as we read through this, I'm going to make references of where I think that you can see it with the Vatican as we go. But let me say this, it could be another way. I'm open to that as well. All right. So this false prophet deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs it was given him to perform. You can understand. I mean, when the world sees him calling down fire, how many of you guys would, would safely say, those of you that go to school, that your friends, if they saw on TV this guy calling down fire from heaven, they'd probably believe in him right are you they're gonna be like man that guy's legit i saw fire come down you know <laughs> so unless people love the truth unless they love the bible and they're going to come to jesus and have his spirit seal them off and learn the truth and love the truth they're going to be deceived one day that's how thick deception is going to be okay all right so then it says this that the false prophet um made an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword but came back to life. And it was given him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So let me stop there for a minute. This is just here another reference. There'll be several 
to things here that, that might parallel with the Vatican. But right now, the Catholic Church around the world has a lot, not a few, a lot, if you don't believe me, look it up, of relics that they worship. They pray to these things. Some statue or some mirror or some special rosary or, or, or some cloth that a holy man wore, whatever. They have these things all over and they worship these things and they pray to these things. It's all over the world. And they believe that these things have healing properties. And let me tell you that some of them do, but it's like a witch doctor, it's satanic. So there's people that go to these sites because of this holy relic, this holy statue or whatever, and they'll go around worshiping it, praying to it, maybe crawling on their knees till they bleed, whatever they do. I'm serious, they do these things. And they may actually get a healing. And they go back home cancer-free. And they tell all their friends. But the fact was that they received that from a satanic source because idolatry is strictly forbidden in Scripture. Amen? So it does not take a far stretch here to see that a Pope figure in the Vatican could have an image of the Antichrist erected and expect that people worship this thing and it has the power now to speak because they already have statues that cry. They already have statues and things that have oil come out of it and manifest. So it's not a far stretch here to have something talk. And it's not, it's, listen, just because a demon's in the thing and it talks, that's not some great miracle. I mean, even amongst the Buddhists in their temples, they have these little idols and things, but they drill a hole in the back because they say, well, that's so that when we worship it, the spirit can come into it and communicate with us. And so it goes even further. This false prophet is now causing the world. You got to understand if, if some religious figure like a pope got up, he has so much authority. If he got up and said, this guy, you really need to listen to him. You need to follow him. You need to worship him. You need to pray to him. You need to look to him. If he did that, a lot of people would do it right now. And, we're, and the bride is still here. Imagine once the remnant of God, all the powerful apostles and prophets and intercessors and prayer warriors, all these awesome people of God are extracted, there's going to be a void that Satan's going to try to fill there. But anyway, it goes beyond that. And it says in verse 16, he causes all small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. So Adam was created on the sixth day. Six is the number of sinful man. So let me just throw this out there real quick. There's going to be some kind of a mark. And guys, we're living in a time where the technology is there now. A hundred years ago, this would have been the craziest thing you could ever even imagine that the whole world would have to have some kind of a mark to be able to buy or sell. They wouldn't even know how to keep up with everybody in the world, let alone force them to get a mark. 
But now, with technology like it is, it can be accomplished in the days to come quite easily. There's going to be some kind of a mark, and it seems like it may be like an alphanumeric. And let me explain something. There's more than one. I believe Latin is this way. I believe Greek is this way. But definitely Hebrew. You can take a Hebrew letter like Vav, okay, and it is the numeric value of six. So it's alpha numeric. Does that make sense? So he's saying here the number and the name. So somehow in a language, maybe Latin, because the, the Vatican and them, or it could be Hebrew, something like that, there's probably going to be some kind of alphanumeric to this that equals 666 and also equals a name. But people won't be able to buy or sell. So probably what you're looking at is in this uh, chip, mark, whatever it is, is going to be all of your medical history, all of your bank accounts and finances, everything. Debit cards are now gone, I'm sure. Now it's all in here. And all of this is how you would just simply go through Walmart or whatever and they'd scan your hand. And if, if the police chased you down and tackled you, all they'd have to do is just break out a little scanner, scan your hand. They're going to know everything about you. All your criminal history and everything. That's probably what you're looking at there. Extreme control. Now, the thing is, this comes across so good, doesn't it? Because they say, well, technology is advancing, and now, like never before, we can catch this before it happens to this. And it, it seems good and sounds good until it starts falling into the hands of someone like the Antichrist. And he's going to use this to try to hunt down and destroy and kill Christians, okay? All right. So that's the rise of the false prophet. You see major signs and wonders. He's going to cause people to worship the Antichrist. He's going to set up an image of the Antichrist that can speak. And he's going to force people to get a mark, an economic mark, where they cannot buy or sell food or anything else without that mark. That's the false prophet. And it's not a far stretch to see those things in the very near future. All right. So now let's talk about the false church. Revelation 17. So hopefully after I went through that, everybody understand Revelation 13 a little bit better? Revelation 17. Now this is going to be a little bit deeper, so be ready to take some notes with this, okay? All right. I'm going to start reading it and explain it. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come up here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, again, a harlot in the Bible speaks of an evil. Um, it, for example, when it talks about immorality in the Bible, I'll try to explain this as I go. When it says that they committed immorality, it's actually probably talking about that they worship idols. Because in the Bible, when God would rebuke Israel and say that you've been unfaithful to me, You've been immoral. He was saying that you worshiped other gods. So all of this, hopefully the symbolism will make sense here, but let me read it. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Remember the many waters, the sea represents the mass of humanity. Now this harlot represents the false church. 
I personally believe it is a Jezebel spirit. And let me make this statement. Whenever all these precious people, and I know that there's some wonderful people in the Catholic Church, I, I don't have anything personal against anyone. I love them deeply. And I believe that in all of the Catholic Church worldwide, there's probably some very sincere Christians that go to church there, okay? Wonderful people, love the Lord. I would encourage them to get in a better church, but that's my opinion. All right, but as a whole, from the Vatican, whenever all these people are worshiping and praying to Mary, what you've got to understand is this. They're not actually really truly worshiping and praying to Mary like they think they are. She was a wonderful woman, but she died in her sin just like everybody else, okay? She had a sinful nature. She was not perfect like Jesus, and she accepted Jesus. You know, I'm sure, well, of course, she accepted Christ. He died on the cross, raised from the dead. She accepted him, so her sins were forgiven, but she still died with a sinful nature and an imperfect person. Amen? Am I telling the truth? Okay, so who's the only perfect human being that ever lived? Jesus, and it says we will be like him when we see him, okay? So, even though she was a wonderful person, she was not without sin. But when these people pray to and worship her, they're not really praying to and worshiping a dead person. They're actually praying to and worshiping a spirit. I believe this spirit, the harlot that sat on many waters. I believe, I really do. And right now, you can Google this and you can YouTube this if you want to look this up, but there have been apparitions like ghostly figures that have come down out of the sky and appeared to people claiming to be Mary. And it would give this weird teaching that goes against the scripture. You know, if somebody doesn't know any better and they've, they've been simply taught in Catholic church and, and, and the, it's kind of taught in a lot of Catholic churches, you don't read the Bible for yourself. And so they don't know anything except what the priest has taught them, and they've taught them to pray to Mary. And so when they're out there and all of a sudden this apparition, this ghostly figure appears as a, maybe a beautiful woman and talking to them saying that it's Mary, they're going to believe that it is. That's why we have to come into the truth. We have to know the Bible for ourselves. That's what the reformers paid such a dear price for was Luther went in seclusion and wrote the Bible in the language of that time so that people could read the Bible for themselves. What Luther was saying was, listen, he was saying, we've got to know the truth for ourselves. I'm going to translate the Bible in a language you can understand it and get it out mass print to you. Read it for yourself. And people started leaving the Catholic Church in droves because they were seeing the truth for themselves. All right. So here's this harlot spirit, this harlot of Babylon, this um, fallen angel, probably the Jezebel spirit that, that is sitting over this false church. And it says here, it says that she sits on many waters. Now, if it is referring to the Vatican, they have... Catholicism is all over the world, isn't it? And it says in verse 2, whom the kings of the earth commit acts of immorality, meaning idolatry, and those who dwell in the earth 
were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. So speaking of idolatry, for example, if you created an image that could talk and you demanded everybody worship that idol, that's immorality to God because you're worshiping idols. And it says the kings of the earth, the, the people of the earth were committing acts of immorality. Is this making sense? He carried me away in the spirit to the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names having seven heads and ten horns. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet. This, this speaks of royalty and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of unclean things of her immorality. This probably has to do with different types of uh, pagan rituals and things that ceremonies that are ungodly and etc. But verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 5, on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery. It's a mystery because it's trying to be secret, okay? Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So Babylon. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. But let me just say this. It's drunk with the blood of the saints, meaning that it is persecuting and killing the righteous. But let me say this out of great love for, you know, I don't have anything personal against Catholic people. I love them deeply. But if you do your homework, and this is not hard to find out, that during the dark ages, the Catholic church slaughtered and murdered a lot of true Christian people. If you were a true Christian, they would burn you alive at the stake. Um, they would, you know, definitely excommunicate you, and they would put people in prison and torture them and kill them. And so the blood of the saints, that this has been drunk with the blood of the saints. Is this making sense? This is a lot of bloodshed of the righteous. And I believe in the days to come also, there will be a lot of persecution. So... Now let me say this, there's going to be a false church that is going to represent Christianity. This is what chapter 17 speaks of. And if you can please give me your best ear and, and hear this because I'm doing my best to explain it, but it's deep. And I'm trying to make it as simple as I can because I know we've got some people that maybe have known the Lord for many years and other people that haven't. So I'm trying to you know, get this out there. It's not easy to do, okay? But there's going to be a false church that will emerge. That's what all of Revelation 17 is speaking of. And it's going to be a church that represents Christianity. But it's not true Christianity. Many scholars and people believe it speaks of the Vatican. It very well could. I lean to that myself. But there's going to be a false church. But here's, here's the thing. There's going to be so much deception in the world that true Christianity true biblical Christianity that says Jesus is the only way will be viewed as false and will be viewed as being a hateful sect. And this false church is going to emerge saying we're actually the true Christians and they're going to be very accepting of things like uh, the homosexual lifestyle or abortion. They're going to be very accepting of interfaith prayers where the Buddhists and the Muslims and the Hindus and, and the Sheiks and, and all these different religions will come together, join hands and pray. 
and they're going to be very much in favor of that and believe that all of these different roads all lead to the same place i'm telling you this is coming and how many of you guys can see that it's not that far off and things have already been moving that direction now if this is the vatican if this is the catholic church the last couple popes have been working very diligently <clears throat> to have interfaith activity and this is very interesting to me even this current pope has had muslims come pray at the vatican okay and this is interesting previous popes have gone and they have even made videos of it they're not ashamed of it or anything they're very open about what they're doing but previous popes have gone and prayed at buddhist temples and hindu temples they've sat in in ceremonies of burning like the smudge pot which is a satanic ritual they've participated in all these different religions and they even the pope even has an inroad to islam because supposedly um muhammad you know he had this wife called fatima or whatever and that's where there was a merry apparition in fatima and so this is really bizarre but anyway through that merry connection and the muslims believe that muhammad will be i think married to mary am i right about this i believe there's some kind of connection there in paradise or whatever so there's this merry connection between islam and the pope that how many other religions will islam get along with nobody but yet the pope has some kind of an inroad because of the mary thing you see what i'm saying so if this is the vatican and if this is a reference here to the pope he does have the influence with unfortunately a lot of protestants <laughs> it's sad but he does a lot of influence with all these different religions that if he began to call together all these religions and the true church the bride the true bride of christ is gone and all these baby christians are left you know what i'm saying they're going to be persecuted but this false church emerges saying we're true christianity we love everybody we believe all these different roads lead to the same place we're all about love and tolerance we just want everybody to get along so come worship with us and all of a sudden it's like everybody is starting to get along it's like some kind of a supernatural peace it's satanic let me say one more thing about this this false church whatever it will be will emerge and this false prophet will sit over it and it will somehow be able to influence all of the other religions this movement of the false prophet will actually cause the rise of the antichrist to be able to be successful but once the antichrist comes fully into power and he has those 10 kingdoms and now he's fully in power and he doesn't need that false church anymore he's actually going to turn on it and destroy it this is in the bible you know why because he he now wants everybody worshiping him the false church served its purpose to get him into power but now he's going to destroy it because now he wants everybody worshiping him 
All right, so here's where it gets a little deep, and then we'll move pretty quickly through this. But verse 8, is this helping you guys? You guys understand some things? All right. I realize this is deep. I'm trying to take small nuggets at a time here. All right. The beast that you saw, this is going to be hard to understand until I explain it. All right. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come out of the abyss and go to destruction. All right. You guys bear with me as I explain this. Yeah, everybody has a, okay. We all have a confused look right now. That's all right. Let me explain this real quick because I did the same thing when I first read it. My eyes crossed. My brain started hurting. But anyway, you, 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 understand, you study things. You begin to understand it, all right? This is what it means. There's basically historic enemies of Israel, okay? Number one was Egypt. Number two was Assyria because Assyria was the one that took the northern tribes captive, remember? Then number three was Babylon. Babylon took the southern tribe captive, Benjamin, Judah, and all that. Then you've got, um, after that, after Babylon was the Medes and the Persians. They were seen in Daniel as the bear because they had this huge, massive army, okay? Then after the Medes and Persians, then you had Greece. Greece was Alexander the Great, and that's where we get Hanukkah from because that was, it was Greece that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes began to really persecute Israel. Then you have Rome. Now we're in the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire. And Rome, remember, was the ones that destroyed the temple in 70 AD, killed a lot of Jewish people, and scattered them among the nations. So these are six historic enemies of Israel. Then you have what's coming in the future. I'm going to say this for the sake of, um, I think it needs to be said, but let me just clarify it here in a moment. What people call the revived Roman Empire, number seven, this will be the false church. Then you have what some have called the revived Grecian Empire. This is number eight. This is the Antichrist world political system. All right. Yeah, hopefully this will make sense as I go. But it's saying here, the angel saying, hey, this beast that you see, it was, it's not right now, but it's going to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. What he's saying there is this. This empire of Babylon once existed in the past, but it doesn't exist right now because Rome is in power. Because John was living in the time of the Roman Empire. But he said one day down the road, this Babylonian empire will emerge and go to destruction. So for the sake of making it extremely simple, you've got Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medes, the Greece, the Rome, so let's say, let's say it this way to make it extremely simple. You have the spiritual empire of the false prophet, number seven. Then you've got the world unified political system under the Antichrist, the natural Babylon of the Antichrist, number eight. Does that make sense? So the last two are in the future. 
It's spiritual Babylon and natural Babylon. And I'm going to call it Babylon because that's what John keeps calling it. It'll make more sense if I do that. So those verse, uh, toward the end of verse 8 here, those who dwell on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast and that he is not and will come. Here is the mind of wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now listen to this, that you might underline that right there. That is one of the scriptures why theologians believe that the Vatican has a lot to do with this spiritual Babylon false church right there. Because the seven hills of Rome that the woman sits on. Let me say that again. They, they, they think that that's a reference to the seven hills in Rome that the Vatican has to do with, that Roman Empire, so to speak, that spiritual Babylon. <laughs> this is getting a little deep. I'm sorry. This, just give me five more minutes. We'll get out of this. We're, we're down in the quicksand now, okay? Just bear with me. We're going we're gonna to climb back out. When you get deep like this, some people love it, some people don't, but we'll be through it here in a moment. All right, verse 10. Here's the seven kings. This is what I was referring to. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece. I'm sorry, Medes and Persians in Greece, and then Rome. He said, these are the seven kings, the seven kingdoms. It says, five of them have already fallen. They existed in the past. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medes and the, and the Greece, they were in the past. They've fallen. One is, that's Rome. That's when John lived, Rome, and the other has not yet come. That's the future Babylonian system. And when it comes, when he comes, he must remain for a little while. The beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth, one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. I believe that's the number eight is the spiritual, I mean, sorry, the physical Babylon. So the ten horns which you saw are the ten kings that have not yet received a kingdom. Remember me saying earlier there's going to be ten areas that are going to serve the Antichrist. And John is saying here, listen, there are ten horns, there's ten kingdoms, ten kings that have not yet come to power. But they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. They have one purpose and that is to give their power and authority to the beast. So hopefully that makes sense. If you're confused, write something down and ask me after church because I got to move on, okay? But bottom line is this. There's been six world ruling powers that have persecuted Israel in the past. There's two more to come. There's spiritual Babylon, which is the false church, and there's natural Babylon, which is the antichrist world system. That's as simple um, I think that that right there makes a lot of sense to everybody. So that's why John says in Revelation, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great because it's spiritual Babylon, natural Babylon. Verse 14, they will wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called, the, uh, are called chosen and faithful. And he said to me, the waters which you saw the harlot sit are the peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues and the ten horns which you saw and the beast these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked 
and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purposes by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, Babylon. So it's interesting that at some point in time, the Antichrist is going to turn on this spiritual Babylon and destroy it and set himself up as God and demand worship. All right. So that was, I'm going to get off that now, but that was pretty much explaining Revelation about the rise of the false church and the false prophet. So to, so to summarize it in extremely simple terms, there's going to be a counterfeit Christianity emerge. There's going to be a false prophet that sits on top of that and rule it, and he will assist the rise of the Antichrist one day. And I don't believe any of this is far off. I believe things are in place for this, especially if it's referring to the Vatican, which I personally lean to that belief because the Vatican has been working for many years to unite the religions of the world, and they have made a lot of progress. All right, so let me give you three signs, and then we're going to close with how not to be deceived. There's three signs going on right now that I think you need to be aware of. Number one is, the Bible says, the branches putting forth their leaves. Luke 21, 29 states to look at the fig tree, then all the trees. This is interesting because there was a time not that long ago, back really up until World War I, that Britain had colonized most of the world. Those that don't really know what that means, let me explain it this way. Through wars and conquest, conquest Britain pretty much had a rulership over most of the world. See, when you've grown up in America, you, you know, in recent times, this doesn't make a lot of sense to you, but imagine England having authority over most of the world, okay? Now, when World War I happened, General Allenby took the land of Israel from the Ottoman Empire. He broke the power of that. And then later, we know after World War II, Israel became a nation. But here's the interesting part. Once Israel became a nation sovereign, they were not under British rulership. They were not colonized by Britain. Once that had happened, it seemed like all the other nations also began to break free from any type of colonial rule. I know America already did as kind of a rebel before that, okay? But there was a lot of them that still had some kind of allegiance. But it's interesting that it started with Israel, then it had like this domino effect of breaking off colonization and being free. So what the scripture says here is that Israel will begin to put forth her leaves and bud and then the other nations will follow suit. You're seeing with your eyes this ancient prophecy by Jesus come to pass that Israel has begun to put forth its leaves. It's begun to be a nation and flourish and other nations have broken away from colonization and are sovereign and now they're putting forth their leaves. So that, I've said all that to say this, that's just another major confirmation that we are close to the coming of the Lord. There's also been this. Throughout world history, if you go back and study ancient world history, most of you guys study American history. How many of you, be honest, have had to study world history of some kind? Going back to like ancient Egypt and Sumer and all of that, okay? The ancient Babylon with the, all right. So back in those times, people the way that they conquered was through military might. 
whoever had the biggest, strongest army. Later on in history, though, it shifted. And this was during the Dark Ages when the Catholic Church kind of ruled. It became no longer military power, but it became religious power. And the Catholic Church yielded great fear tactics over people that they would, uh, you know, persecute them, excommunicate them, kill them if they didn't come under their authority. So it became a religious power. After that, it became political power. Who had the most uh, ability to have a charismatic personality and have political sway? But you know what it is now? It's economic power. Even to this date, when you look at who gets voted in as president, how many knows that there's more money spent on campaigns now than ever in all of history? So it seems like whoever has the most money. So now it's moved into economic power. This is significant because the mark of the beast is going to be all about buying and selling in the economy. It's another sign of the time that the powers have shifted now to economic power. All right, let me give you another sign. Matthew 24, it says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Kingdom against kingdom is referring to nations at war. Like for example, Israel is probably gonna have to have some kind of a war with Iran at some point because it's going to come to a head. So that's a kingdom against kingdom. And God's gonna give Israel a great victory when that happens, okay? Now, nation against nation is ethnos. In the Greek, it's ethnic group against ethnic group. Everybody catch that. One of the signs of the end times is that ethnic group would hate and rise up and fight against ethnic groups. It would be like this ethnic group against that one. The blacks hate the whites. The Hispanics hate the blacks. The Arabs hate the Jews. Ethnic wars. Now, in the day and time we're living right now in 2015, we've just seen some things like in Ferguson and in Baltimore and all that where there's these riots. And what is it all about? Race. And I'll just say this because I believe it to be true, but we've never had a leadership in the White House that has been as irresponsible about this as what we have right now. Anybody else would have done what they could to put that fire out instead of trying to stir the pot for their own political gain. And unfortunately, it has resulted in the death of innocent civilians. But we can get irritated at these people. But bottom line is, the Bible said these things would happen. You're seeing it with your eyes. And if it wasn't them, it would be somebody else. Because the Bible says it would happen, and it's going to happen. So when you're seeing these race riots, guys, you understand that when you look at the news, and you're watching whatever news you watch, and you're seeing this smoke clouds come up in this city, and, and you're seeing this racial riots you need to go back to Matthew 24 and read that and realize you're seeing with your eyes Bible prophecy fulfilled right in front of you that ethnic group would rise against ethnic group before the coming of the Lord. All right, here's the last sign. This is interesting to me. Falling stars and shaking in the heavens. What's that gonna look like? Here we go. And Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. So a solar eclipse and the moon will not give its light a lunar eclipse. 
and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now we've all, we all know what the earth being shaken looks like in earthquake. Now, okay, what is it gonna look like when the heavenly bodies are shaken? None of us have seen that. This is a reference to some things in the future, okay? Let me just give you some insight, I'll give you my opinion. We see the heavens shaking and far, uh, stars falling, but I believe that stars falling here, it could be a reference to like meteors or something, but I believe that it's referring to fallen angels. And let me give you a couple references. There was a star that fell in Revelation chapter 8, 10 through 11. It was a fallen angel. Okay, it was a star that fell down on the earth and it turned the waters bitter wormwood. Remember that? All right. There was another star that fell and it was a reference to a fallen angel falling down, hitting the earth in Revelation chapter nine. And he, remember this, he took the key and opened like a big gate of hell and this smoke came out of the abyss and all these legions of demons began to flock on the earth. But these were references to fallen angels coming down. So let's read Revelation 12. I'm wondering if there isn't a connection right here. There was war in heaven. Now, we're not talking about, because some people think this is the third heaven. We're not talking about where God's throne is. That's the third heaven. When it's saying there was war in heaven, we're talking about the second heaven. We're talking about where the stars and the planets are. This is where principalities and powers dwell. Did you know that? Right now, over our heads, not over River of Life, mind you, okay, but over the nations and over other places, there's principalities and powers that have thrones that rule over America, over England, over Scotland, and, and even under their authority, rule over regions of the earth, like cities. And even beneath that, over evil places where they have a rulership. So there's this second heaven, satanic kingdom, the prince of the powers of the air. And it says in Revelation chapter 12, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waged war with the dragon. Who's the dragon? And Satan and his angels waged war, but they were not strong enough. And there was no place found for them in heaven. Now that is an interesting scripture. All of this time, Satan's kingdom has dwelt in that second heaven. All of these principalities and powers have dwelled there. But all of a sudden, there comes a point in time. This may not be just one war. It doesn't say that. There could be a system of several wars. I don't know. But there's going to be warfare in the second heaven where Michael and his angels, which Michael oversees Israel. So there might be a connection with things going on with Israel. But anyway, there's going to be this war in the second heaven. And all of a sudden, Satan and his minions begin to lose their thrones. That might be why one of them hit the ground and turned the waters bitter. That might be why one of them hit the ground and opened that abyss. But it says in verse 9, the dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who's called the devil or Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of our Christ has come. The accuser of the brethren has been thrown down the one who accuses them before God day and night. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony did not love their lives, even faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and those who dwell in them. 
But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil's gone down to you, having great wrath, knowing his time is short. So when we're talking about stars falling and heavenly bodies being shaken, I have to wonder, is it not connected to the warfare with Michael and his angels warring with these principalities in the second heaven that it's going to result in like heavenly bodies shaking and these stars being fallen angels falling on the earth and Satan being thrown down to the earth. And for the last while, they're going to be on the earth really stirring up a lot of damage. They know their time is short. So what's that going to look like? What's it going to look like if somehow we see heavenly bodies like planets shaking? Think about it. People are going to be scared. But if we know the word, okay, we know what's really going on. Okay, so here's the last thing. How do we avoid deception? This is so important, guys. I felt that this was a warning for some people in a good way, not in a rebuke, but just a warning for people, if you'll hear me tonight. Be in the center of God's will in these last days. Did you know a lot of people make decisions about where they live based just solely on how much money they make? They don't pray about it. They don't hear from God. Did you know that? Did you know a lot of people go to churches strictly because their kids like the children's church puppet program? I don't say stupid a lot from the pulpit, but that's stupid. You go to church because you've prayed about it and you've heard from God where you're supposed to go. And you don't let teenagers call the shots in a family. That's an out-of-order family, okay? The husband needs to be making the decision. Him and the wife pray together about it. But you don't let kids tell you where to go. So my point is that there needs to be this hearing from God and geographically being in the center of his will in these last days. Let me tell you, if you're in the center of his will, you're protected. But if you're out of his will, you're going to be vulnerable. So if you have to set up some, some wire around a property like an electric fence, it's got to be connected all the way around the property. If you were to take any piece of that wire and snip it off and remove it, from that point on, there'd be no power flow. It's all got to be connected all the way around. See, when our lives are in the center of God's will, it's like everything is connecting and flowing correctly. The power of God surging through every area. But when you disconnect out of the will of God, geographically or whatever, then things will start misfiring. So geographical, be in the right church. When you live where you're supposed to and you're going to the right church, you're being led by the Spirit, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then you're going to end up marrying the person that God has brought into your life. But if you've disconnected and you're living some other part of the world, how are you even going to meet them? You're out of the will of God. Is this making sense? So your whole life can be altered. The friends that you're supposed to have, the people that you're supposed to have comrades in the ministry doing things with those people. God has called those people to be in your life. If you're geographically in a whole other part of the world, how are you going to connect with any of these people? Here's another one. Not just geographically being out of the will of God, but also sin. Continual sin can take you out of God's will. You can still be in the, the geographic place and in the right church, but sin has disconnected you from the purpose of God. We must live pure and holy, have godly convictions, die to our flesh, renew our, our minds, have a strong prayer life because sin itself will be like taking and cutting off a piece of that electric fence where the power of God is no longer flowing. So 
even though you're geographically where you're supposed to be, the right person that God had intended to marry you, they don't feel good about you because there's sin in your life and they don't want to marry you. Hello? The friends that God had intended to be in your life don't feel comfortable in their spirit. And so they don't hang out like they could. The, the ministry opportunities, the things that God had for you to do, now God has to use another person. What I'm saying is, let's get aligned in the perfect will of God because I believe that's the safest place for you in these last days. And when you're in the center of God's will, did you know that we all have a measure of faith? What you're called to do, listen, we need to be praying about what is it that we are called to do? Because whatever it is that you are called to do, you will have an anointing that God has for you for that. And God will give you gifts that have to do with that calling. And he will give you a measure of faith that has to do with that calling. And let me give you an example. My focus in ministry as a priority has to do with God moving uh, revival and souls. It always is. But there was a point in time in my life where I was seeing a move of God and souls being saved and God touching people. But there came a point in time in my life where God began to deal with me very strongly about also having more understanding and flowing more in the deliverance ministry. And I remember because I was working at a home for teens and many of you have heard me tell the story. So all this started happening and people were getting delivered to things. Here's what happened. When God called me to that, there was a new anointing come on me that I did not have before. Now listen to me. There was gifts that I did not have operating in my life that began to operate. One of them was the discerning of spirits. Thirdly, God gave me faith for it. And because of that, when I've prayed for people about deliverance, I have a measure of faith to be able to believe God for it that I really didn't have before. But once you start moving into a calling, all of a sudden, God will give you the faith, he'll give you the gifts, he'll give you the anointing, everything you need to be equipped for that. But if you're called to do that and you're trying to do something else, you're gonna be very frustrated because you're not anointed and gifted, nor do you have the faith for that over here. Find, it, find out what is it that you're supposed to be doing. That is the area that being in the center of God's will, doing what you're supposed to be doing, where you're gonna be the most fruitful for the kingdom. Your gifts and your calling will fit together. And number three, learn to weather storms where you're supposed to be. You know how many people God has put them geographically, right where they're supposed to be, right in the right church, the right people in their lives that they're supposed to have in their life, and so the devil doesn't like that. So the devil starts stirring up storms around them. They get frustrated at the storms and they abandon ship. They bail out, they run off. Well, the devil's gonna leave them alone now, but now it seems like the storms die down. But now they're over, way over here, geographically out of the right church, away from the people they're supposed to be connected to, and their life is not in the center of God's will. Pastor Scott, why are you talking about this? Two reasons. Number one, 
I think the safest place for you in these end times is to be right in the middle of Jesus's perfect will for your life. And number two, the only way that you're really gonna bear the most fruit for the Lord is to do what you're called to do, not try to do what somebody else is called to do. So find it out. If you're called to, to, if you see that there's an anointing and a gifting on you to be a witness, an evangelist, to be a soul winner, get after it. And God will give you the gifts that go along with that. There's an anointing for that. There's a boldness, okay? And you can feel it. I remember being around, I've been used in this too, but I remember being around evangelists. I remember one time we were sitting in a home and all of a sudden this guy who's an evangelist, he's just like something jolted in him. And he said, and he started to talk about Jesus. And when he did, the room electrified. And those people got saved. What happened was the gift of evangelism in him discerned it's time to witness. And as soon as he started to do it, the anointing kicked in and those people got saved. See, he was gifted and anointed for that. If you're called to be, you know, operating in music or to be an intercessor, an intercessor is a very high calling. You really got to stay pure, okay, to be doing that. But it's a very high calling. But God will give you the anointing and the gifts. Some people that's not an intercessor think, how in the world does, you know, Brianna sit there and pray like that for an hour with such intensity? Because she has the anointing and the gift. If she didn't, she wouldn't be able to do it. You see what I'm saying? So there's, there's this functioning in what you're called to do. If you're called to, listen, if you're called to be an evangelist and you're trying to pastor a church, nobody wins. Nobody wins. You have to have a gift to pastor. Trust me, there has to be a gift, okay? And an anointing. So the different areas that you're called to, I want you to pray about that because I want you in these last days to be effective. 